0: got carried away (laughs) we're going to start right now and uh, when we finish this session here that lawrence has done right now i'm going to invite you to come to the microphone just so that everybody else can hear your question um because you're you're facing each other and uh and then we'll be able to address those and then we'll close off by four o'clock still thank you
1: So in this uh, final session, then, we'll be addressing more directly this question of uh, preaching, planning sermons based on an understanding of biblical narrative. Now, uh, the reason why um, I've left this to the end is that before we can apply, before we can preach, we first must understand. So the previous sessions have been largely on trying to understand narrative, and now we can address a little bit more about the presentation of that. Um, So the last thing we looked at was plot and so in this final session that's where I'd like to begin as we consider planning preaching planning sermons. If we're going to be preaching on a narrative I think it helps a great deal if we are aware of its plot and so that's what, what I what I do what I would suggest is to Do a plot analysis of the passage that you are going to be preaching on. Find out the complication, in particular the resolution. How is this narrative organized? And then you have a map which indicates matters of relative importance within the narrative. Then what often happens, I think, is that in order to preach a sermon on a narrative with a plot, what we do as preachers is we often de-plot the narrative. So we strip out the plot and we put the content into our sort of theological liquidizers and we uh, serve a synthetic soup of what the, what the passage is about. So I would suggest let's not deplot a plotted narrative. Let's keep our eye on the plot because that will help us in Understanding, but also in structuring the sermon that we 're going to preach, so what are the possibilities? Well, I think the possibilities are are, are numerous, and one thing it does is to liberate us from the uh, the rut we might find ourselves in where for the last 15 years when we've preached, we've preached with three points. points—you know, Three points and an appeal, or three points and a poem, or three points and Sister Smith warbling on the organ um, as, we, as we come to the end. Because I've always found that three points always works. The problem is, what if this narrative that you're preaching on doesn't have three points? Let the narrative set the agenda. What is the narrative trying to communicate and how does it communicate? So one possibility, there are several, but one possibility is to say, all right then, let me have a sermon on this passage and in my sermon I will replicate the plot of the narrative. My sermon will have the same shape as the narrative. This is not the only approach. I'm just saying this is one possibility that we might start with. So let's illustrate this by looking at Daniel chapter 3. So I'm assuming we all have a a general knowledge of the story of Daniel 3, the three friends in the furnace. And this is the plot structure of Daniel 3. We have an initial situation in which Nebuchadnezzar demands that all bow before his idol, that's the initial situation. The complication is that three Jews refuse to do that and as a consequence they face death. The transforming action, what's going to be Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to that complication? Well Nebuchadnezzar throws the three Jews into the furnace. That brings us to the resolution the three Jews survive, and the king acknowledges God. That's the, the resolution of our narrative, and the final situation is that the king promotes the three Jews in his kingdom. So that is the basic fivefold plot structure. Now, the first option, having analyzed that narrative, The first option would be to say, okay, I, in my sermon, I will work through the plot. I will work through the plot structure. So this means then that the structure of the sermon follows the structure of the narrative. This is the first option. So what will happen in this sermon then is that we move from the world of the text, to the world of the congregation at each stage of preaching. And what this results in is that the biblical story, the story in Daniel chapter three, the biblical story becomes the worshippers story. So let me illustrate this now. This is done in a very sort of simple way in order to illustrate the principle. But obviously you can work with this in how many sophisticated ways you like. So if we're working through the plot, our sermon's going to replicate the plot structure of the narrative in the Bible. Uh, this is how the sermon would look in principle. So the world of the text, the initial situation, this is where we begin in the text. So we, we get to the initial situation, the king demands all bow before his idol. That's the world of the text. We then move from the world of the text to the world of the congregation. The initial situation, what challenges face us today, brothers and sisters? Not fiery furnaces, most of the time, but what challenges face us? And then back into the text we come to the complication the complication is that the three Jews refuse to obey and then into the world of the congregation we would say now what should our responses be to our challenges to our faith which come our way back into the world of the text we have a transforming action in which the King throws them into the furnace which then raises the question for us in the world of the congregation, what might we expect as a response in our situation, in 2016, to the challenges which face us? Back into the world of the text, the resolution is that three Jews, the three Jews survive and the king acknowledges God, which for the world of the congregation raises the question of how might it work out for us? Will our experience be the same as the three friends in Daniel 3, or could it be different? And then the final uh, situation in the world of the text is that the king promotes the three Jews, and then we move to the world of the congregation with concluding remarks on the, the general significance of this sermon for us. Now, as you say, that's fairly simple, perhaps a simplistic way but it means that the the sermon maps the shape of the narrative but it is being applied to the life of the congregation so that is working through the plot that is when the 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 sermon reproduces the plot structure But that's not the only way of dealing with this another approach rather than working through the plot would be to work with the plot and when you're working with the plot you need to be aware of what the plot structure is you do your plot analysis so you you know what the plot structure is but you're not going to reproduce that in your sermon not step by step so what happens here then is that the plot is identified but not reproduced in the sermon. Then we remember that the resolution is the climax of the narrative. This is normally where matters come home, is in the resolution. So if you've done our plot analysis, we know where the resolution is, let's identify that. And then what you can do is to begin with the resolution as the heart of the matter. When we're preaching on a narrative, the sermon doesn't necessarily have to begin at the beginning of the narrative. We can begin, one option, we can begin with a resolution, the heart of the matter, and then we can move on to other things. Uh, So here you allow the resolution to determine the direction and emphases of the sermon. What are you going to say in the sermon? What are going to be the emphases of your sermon? That's going to be determined to a large extent, not exclusively, but to a large extent, it's going to be determined by what does the resolution emphasize, because that's the heart of the matter. So in our sermon on Daniel 3 then, how would our sermon look like if we are now working with the plot and not just through the plot. Well, you could begin an introduction, a setting of context, an explanation of what is it that's going on in Daniel 3. Background so that people receive an orientation to what's going on and then you cut to the chase and you get to the resolution in verses 24 to 29. And then how are we going to utilize the resolution for setting the direction of the sermon from this point on? Well, we can do it um, like this. Here is the resolution. Let's just, uh, won't take time to read all of this, but uh, you can see that the King Nebuchadnezzar is astonished because the three friends are, are rescued and then he uh, uh, pronounces his belief in the God of Israel. So I want to point out some elements here in this um, resolution. We read there in verse 27, uh, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors. If we've been reading Daniel 3 carefully, Those words in the resolution will ring a bell. We've heard those words before. The resolution also says something else. It talks about, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. And delivered his servants. And at the end, for there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. So the resolution contains a couple of elements which, if we've been reading Daniel 3 carefully, we will recognize as having occurred before in the story through repetition. Okay? So, let's just illustrate how that works then. Here we've got, in the resolution, remember, we've got the reference to the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's counselors. We, we read that also previously. We read it in the initial situation. In the initial situation we had King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, prefects, governors, councillors, treasurers, justices, magistrates and all the officials of the provinces and so what happens in verse 3? So the satraps, prefects, governors, councillors, treasurers, justices, magistrates and all the officials of the provinces turn up. So the resolution is picking up on that earlier repetition. Then The resolution also talks about deliverance. Delivered his servants, there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. We read about that in the complication on deliverance. In the complication, Nebuchadnezzar said, who is the God that will deliver you? The young men say, if our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, let him deliver us, O God. So the theme of deliverance has occurred in the complication. It's picked up again in the the resolution. So what we have then when we see that is that that helps to decide the shape of the sermon. So we're working with the plot. The resolution has got those elements of the satraps, prefects, governors and so on. It's got the theme of uh, of deliverance, which has occurred before. The resolution is saying these are the significant elements in, in the narrative. So working with the plot, the emphases of the plot's resolution determine which elements of the narrative will be emphasized in the sermon. There could be 20 different things that you might see in this narrative. But out of all of those, What are the most important? The resolution will indicate to you what they are. That will help you to determine what the main emphases are. So the sermon does not necessarily work through or reproduce the plot. So you don't have to work through initial situation, complication, transforming action and so on. With this kind of a sermon, you don't have to work through the plot, but The resolution determines the main points of emphasis in this sermon. So this sermon on Daniel 3 will focus on social pressure to conform and the nature of deliverance or salvation. Social pressure to conform, the prefects, governors, satraps and so on, these are the professional colleagues of these three young men. There is social pressure, professional pressure on them to conform. That's highlighted in the resolution. And also it will deal with the nature of deliverance, because deliverance is emphasized in the, in the resolution also, and that has been a theme which runs through the story also. So that's what this sermon will be concerned with, mostly, if we're working with the plot. Uh, a slightly different way of working with the plot Uh, would be this way that you use the essence of the resolution to provide what I would call what I call the single narrow dominant thought of the sermon or with my students I call this the SNDT the single narrow dominant thought a single thought not many narrow not broad dominant not half-hidden, and presumably there's a thought there as well. Okay, Single, narrow, dominant thought of the sermon. What is going to be the single, narrow, dominant thought of this sermon? Find the resolution. Summarize the resolution into a sentence. And what I would suggest here is that if you summarize the resolution into a sentence, it is this. God delivers those who resist earthly powers and trust in him. That seems to be the essence, I think, of the resolution. That is going to be the single, narrow, dominant thought of our sermon, if we're approaching it from this point of view. So we therefore now... That, that theme, that single narrow dominant thought, is used now as a filter for the entire narrative. Work through the narrative. What is there in the narrative relevant to God delivering those who resist earthly powers and trust in him? So you, as it were, you're putting the narrative into that sieve, you're shaking the sieve, you're sieving out, those elements which don't directly relate to that and what you're left with is the raw material from which you're going to um, write your sermon, which is going to be true to the climax of the narrative. Um, so each step of the plot um, is not necessarily followed in this, in this approach. And it produces what you would call a big idea sermon. It's a sermon based on a big idea. Where does that big idea come from? Not as you look in the mirror, as you get out of the shower on the morning, no. It comes from your analysis of the plot and content of the narrative. The big idea is the distillation of the resolution of the plot. And that is the filter which decides what goes into this sermon and what does not. But we also have to allow for subtlety. So here, um, I've suggested that the resolution can be summarized as God delivers those who resist earthly powers and trust in him. Those are really the words of King Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he, uh, that's, that's what he confesses. God delivers those who, trust in, who resist earthly powers and trust in him. But if you think back in the story a little way, You remember, before those three young men were thrown into the furnace, remember what they say to Nebuchadnezzar. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the flames, O King. Remember how it goes on? But if not, but if not, we still will not bow down to your image. So there's an element in the narrative which allows us to look at this theme, God delivers those who resist earthly powers and trust in Him. However, we might need to add, but if not, to make the sermon true to the narrative and realistic to the experiences of people in the congregation. All right, so yes, that's the Resolution God delivers those who resist earthly powers and trust in him, but within the narrative itself there are indications that things aren't always as simple as that. Maybe a little more complicated sometimes. Um, Let's look now at the scope of a of a narrative sermon. When we consider that we're preaching on a narrative, and a narrative stretches from initial situation to final situation, this can sometimes cover a large block of text, particularly in the Old Testament. Generally speaking, Old Testament narratives tend to be longer than New Testament narratives, as a rule of thumb, not always the case, of course, but as a rule of thumb. So. Let's consider this as we look at the scope of a of a narrative. Let's look at the story of Abraham here as we, uh, as we consider what the narrative is about. So the initial situation of this um, narrative is this. So imagine we're planning on preaching a sermon on this narrative. The initial situation is here in Genesis 11:27 27 to 32. We're given the descendants of Terah, all of their family members, the fact that Sarai is barren and that Terah dies. That's the initial situation. Basic family uh, matters and situation. Then there's the complication. What triggers this narrative, moves it forward, is the Lord speaking to Abram. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the complication because now something has to happen. We're not just dealing with Terah's family up in Haran, but Abraham's response to God's call, that's the complication. The transforming action is that Abram went and he took everything with him and Abraham passes on through the land and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. So Abram responds to that complication. That's the transforming action. Then the resolution, which in this context is a partial resolution, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. It's a partial resolution, of course, because it's to your offspring rather than to you personally, Abram. And then the final situation. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and they built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord, and Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. We come to the final situation. Now, many preachers, myself included, um, I think have made this mistake. When they read this passage, this is what makes their heart feels strangely warmed. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, doesn't that make you feel wonderful? But notice that when we consider preaching a sermon on blessing the world, blessing nationhood promises in this narrative that is only the complication this is only the complication and if in preaching on this narrative we preach only the complication but don't get to the resolution we haven't got to the heart of this particular narrative because When you move on from here, from the complication, you'll see that the emphasis of this narrative is not on nationhood. It's not on blessing the nations of the world. It's actually on land. So let's look at this. The transforming action. They set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they'd come to the land of Canaan, at that time the Canaanites were in the land the emphasis in the transforming action is on land, in the resolution heart of the matter right, what's the emphasis of the resolution to your offspring I will give this land and then the final situation emphasizes land the hill country on the east of Bethel journeyed on by stages towards the Negev so the plot structure of this particular narrative emphasizes that of greatest significance in this passage is land. And if we're going to do justice to these verses as a narrative, then we should emphasize land. That doesn't mean we ignore the rest, but we emphasize land. Can I preach on, on nationhood and blessing all the nations of the world? Yes, of course, because that's a theme that runs throughout the story of Abraham you got ample opportunity to preach on nationhood abraham's descendants being a blessing to the world plenty of opportunities for that in the abraham story but this particular episode is concerned more with land and a sermon that does justice to this passage would need to emphasize land rather than the other elements Right. Briefly, let's consider preaching a narrative series. I know it's common for folk to preach a, uh, a series on um, such a, a series on profiles of faith. You know, this week Abraham, next week Moses. Then let's move on to to Gideon. Um, But rather than that, I think something that does justice to the narrative nature of much of the Bible is to preach consecutive, contiguous passages. So we preach our way through narratives. That way, it enables our congregations and ourselves to see the connections and the coherence of Scripture. One reason I say this is that if one week we're talking about Moses and we move from complication to resolution, self-contained unit, David, we move from complication to resolution, self-contained unit, we can give the impression that complications are easily overcome. Resolutions easily arrived at. But if we preach consecutive episodes, we can demonstrate this. Let's look at the beginning of the book of Daniel just to uh, illustrate this. Daniel chapter 1 the complication. Daniel and his friends refuse to eat the king's food. The resolution. Daniel and his friends perform better than all others. All is well. Daniel 2. The complication. No one can interpret the dream and Daniel and his friends face death. The resolution is that Daniel interprets the dream, and Daniel is, is promoted. Daniel 3, the complication, the three friends refuse to obey and face death. The resolution, the three friends survive, and the king acknowledges God. By preaching consecutive episodes, we demonstrate something, and that is that resolutions in this life are rarely permanent that we move from complication to resolution we will have another complication resolution. In other words remarkably like the life of faith that the majority of people live. So this roller coaster ride that we see from reading consecutive narratives accords with the reality of faith that many people live. So from a pastoral point of view preaching narratives in this consecutive way, I think um, will, will be more helpful. Now, in concluding then, we've surveyed just a, a few aspects of biblical narrative. We could have dealt with far more. This is a, a basic introduction. But I think that even a basic understanding of the conventions of Biblical narratives will enable us to preach in a way which will better communicate with the contemporary world and contemporary people. What kind of conventions have we seen in Biblical narratives? Well, a brief summary would be this. We've seen that Biblical narratives use, uh, use repetition, They're involved with intertextuality. There's deliberate ambiguity. We have interrupted narratives which invite us to provide the resolution to the story. Uh, We've seen characterization is largely limited to words and acts. So we have to ask the question, what is the significance of that? And we've seen that uh, narratives present contrasts between and within characters to give shape and pass implicit judgment on what characters are doing. So, what are the characteristics of biblical narrative that arise? Those are some of the techniques it uses, but what do we actually have with biblical narrative? What we have essentially is this. Biblical narrative communicates indirectly and inductively, not directly and deductively, but indirectly and inductively. It encourages the imagination of the hearer, and it encourages the imagination of the hearer because it withholds information which we normally have in modern Western literature. So we have to use our imagination, otherwise the story will not live. It also encourages dialogue with the narrative because we are drawn into the narrative to analyze, to look, to respond because information is withheld, we are in dialogue with that narrative. And also, it conveys its message through human experience, not through abstract theology, but through human experience, through the characters, through, through David and Bathsheba and Abigail, and Solomon, and so on. So whatever message biblical narrative has, it's conveyed through human experience, not through theological abstractions. And it invites us as hearers to identify with the character's experience. How do I relate to that character, how does that character relate to me? And if we understand the nature of biblical narratives, if we understand the the nature of biblical narratives, then the challenge is for our sermons to share the same nature as biblical narratives. So I would suggest this that if we preach in a biblical narrative mode that is preaching which prioritizes the imagination rather than the intellect of the hearer so preaching which communicates inductively rather than propositionally preaching that encourages dialogue not passive acceptance and preaching that incarnates its message in human experience. If our preaching has those characteristics, it will have the same characteristics as biblical narrative. And one of the great things about biblical narrative is, remember what we said earlier, you hear a biblical narrative once and you will remember it for the rest of your life. If only the same could be said about our sermons. Thank you.
0: I'd like you to encourage you to use the microphones, then everybody can hear the questions. If you have any specific questions, now's the time to come forward and you can just squeeze this and raise or lower it so that it actually reaches your mouth. That'd be great. Also Jessica.
1: I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, if you set me down anywhere in Scripture, I'll make a beeline for the cross. Can, can you talk just a little bit about how, how we can connect narratives to the full gospel? How, yes, connecting... Um any narrative then, to, to the Gospel. I think that the danger is when we preach, uh, let's say an Old Testament biblical narrative, that one of the dangers is to be reductionistic. That is to say no, no matter where we are and no matter what we preach on, we know ahead of time what we're going to say. And the danger of that is that we no longer read the text. So I think the first responsibility is read the text. What does it mean in its original context? Once we've determined what it means in its original context and we've expounded that, then we can say, "You know, therefore." now this can be done this can be done directly or it can also be done indirectly in that when we are preaching on any part of the Bible, I think there's an assumption that we are preaching this in the context of the whole of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. So that if we try too hard to take an Old Testament narrative and apply it apply it to Christ, we can sometimes end up making the book of Judges sound like the Gospel of John. And you've probably noticed there are a few differences. So I think we need to retain the reality, let's say of the book of Judges, and yet there are principles there which are expanded in the, um, in the Gospels. So just as kind of a way of bring of trying to illustrate what I'm saying, The New Testament frequently says that this is to fulfill that which was said by the prophet, so-and-so, or this fulfills something in the Old Testament. And often we think of that in terms of prediction fulfillment. But most of the time, I believe, it isn't a matter of prediction fulfillment. It's fulfillment in the sense of filling full. That is, what the Gospel does is it takes the Old Testament and it fills it full of new meaning. So the relationship between what the Old Testament is saying and what the gospel is saying is not necessarily a straight line, but more more along the lines of, you've heard that it was said here in the Old Testament, how much more in light of Christ do we now see that? Rather than having people in Judges, as it were, many years ahead, actually speaking the Sermon on the Mount. Then we get an anachronism there. So yes, we believe in the whole of scripture. Yes, we need to relate Old Testament to New Testament, but it's often how the New Testament elevates elements of the New Testament to to new and surprising levels. And we can do that effectively and imaginatively in many different ways.
0: Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, it has been great for us to be here together. We thank you for the words of inspiration and instruction. We ask God that as we process this weekly for many of us, that uh, your spirit leads us into the places of truth and understanding, and we're able to articulate it stronger and leave lasting memories in our congregants, in their lives, that they too may share it with others as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming, ladies and gentlemen. Blessings to you. Safe travels back to wherever you come from.